Hey entrepreneurs, you want to maximize leadership success with integrity? Listen to this podcast with Christy Garcia. She is a founder, the founder at Mindful Choice Leadership Academy. On this podcast, John and I and Christy all go deep into what are actually our beliefs that are driving our behavior in our businesses. Christy breaks down for us the need for self-awareness, ownership in beliefs, and changing our story. Gaining more consciousness, being intentional, present, self-aware, making mindful choices. She's been doing it for 11 years, and we believe our entrepreneurs could use it post-COVID like they never have before. Christy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of your journey through your career and where you are today and how you got there? Yeah, you know, it's been quite a journey. I have been blessed to have been running my business for, I think it's been, gosh, 11 years we're going on. Um, and it's been a pretty exciting roller coaster. Started out as just a leap of faith and turned into working with some of the fastest growing organizations in the country and helping maximize leaders everywhere, which is just so fun. So, you know, I would say my biggest uh, challenge was leaving corporate America to get started into the actual um, arena of running my own show and, you know, the fears and all that stuff that goes in that is involved in actually taking the leap. So it actually what led to the Leadership Academy, which is now what I run, that the fears, the unconscious beliefs and behaviors that really hold all the entrepreneurs, business owners, um, you know, some of the biggest leaders in the world, we all have them. And so being able to help leaders and organizations, current and upcoming, um, you know, managers, business owners, people who just, they're in the grind, they're having a great time, they're successful, but they still have those unconscious behaviors that just create struggles um, for their everyday fire drills for their teams. They're the unconscious uh, actions that actually sabotage our good intentions. And so it, it's been a really fun journey helping people recognize those. Thanks for that. I want to know more about the what before I go there. I want to know more about the why. Yeah. Why the Leadership Academy and why fears, and unconscious beliefs? Ah, oh, you know, it, it started as a, a personal journey. I was a very successful uh, sales rep in the medical sales in industry. And for about, I guess it was eight years, I was, you know, training neurosurgeons and orthopedics and all these really smart, educated, um, successful people. And I'm sitting in these rooms and I one day learned that I have an ego. And I didn't really know what that meant until I started doing the work myself. And I was literally sitting in a room of 12 orthopedic surgeons and one kind of did this little chauvinistic comment, but I took it very personal and I just snapped back. And because I had been doing this work, I realized I literally just started laughing in the middle of this room of all these 12 men looking at me. And I just was like, whoa, there it was. I said it out loud. Oh my goodness, I have to just rewind five minutes. Let's act like that didn't just happen. I apologize for my uh, poor choice of actions. This is how I should have responded. And it just changed the entire energy of the room. So I got to witness it in real time in a setting that most people would never take ownership of a poor decision in real time. And so I started to recognize that in my life. The next thing that happened in order that uh, really allowed me to launch was about six months later, I was um, getting ready for a Halloween party or a holiday party, and I had a fall about 30 feet, and it kind of just changed everything. And I've realized that my controller ego, which runs me, makes me go fast, makes me seek success, and always find the good time, overly optimistic. So I was living the dream. I had a great apartment in San Francisco. I was traveling the world. I had all these friends. I was doing everything, everything right. And I thought I was happy. And then I had this fall and I woke up the next week at my mom's house and thanks, uh, it was Thanksgiving and I couldn't take care of myself. I you know, had to have someone help me because I didn't really have any major injuries, but I still had some bruises and aches and pains that I couldn't 
um, go home by myself with. And it just helped me realize, wow, I have never slowed down long enough to say, I'm, I am happy. I love my job. I'm doing well. I'm making great money. I've got all these friends, but it was, I was now 30 and I hadn't dated. I hadn't started thinking about a family. I didn't own a house, all these other things, right? It was like, my business was great, but the personal side of my life was overlooked. It was forgotten about because I was good. And so being able to stop long enough to recognize that's how ego works. You know, one of the things I used to love doing when I was in medical sales was walk into um, rooms when someone was by themselves. Most of the time they were men because at that time men were the ones who were, you know, breadwinners and running the show and working crazy hours. And so I'd go in there and I'd be like, you know, I didn't understand why they were by themselves. I came from a big family. You don't, you don't sit in the hospital by yourself. And so I would just visit with them. And the most common thing I heard was I, I would ask, why are you here by yourself? Where's your family? And most of them would say, I worked too many hours. I was too invested in my company to take care of my family. I thought I was doing the right thing. But once I went to retire, my relationships had suffered. My family was gone. I couldn't repair it. It was too late. And that hit home so hard that I was just like, wow, I can't keep doing this. Um, I've got to start building my life for me too, not just for the success of um, my career. And then I started realizing this isn't just a men's problem or man problem anymore. This is women too. Women are missing out on kids' birthday parties. They're now missing out on all these other things. And so being able to get it back to, you can be successful at home and work. We just have to manage the ego. You got to recognize, you got to be intentional with both. And the ego is going to always make tasks come first. Your business has tasks. Your family is people focused. And so if you don't learn to balance both of them, it really creates a problem down the road. Thanks for sharing a couple of those stories and embedded in that you've used the word ego a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And it's my understanding with ego, there's a part of it that's natural. There's a part of it that everybody has. And then there's a part of it that can become an unhealthy side of it. Where's that transition happen between everybody has an ego and there's some self-preservation to having one mm-hmm. and the ego being problematic? You know, it's such a great question. So the Academy is all about ego management. That's my niche. That's my specialty. It's what I do. And really what the ego is in my terms, it's the unconscious brain. It's how we all function. And unfortunately, 95% of the time, We are unconsciously going through the motions, which means your ego is most likely making 95% of your decisions throughout the day. It's our autopilot. And so it reacts to emotion, stress, overwhelm, all the things, especially business owners, you know, go through on the daily. And what happens is I believe that our strengths are a weakness. And so our ego is both strengths and weaknesses. And when we use our strengths at its maximum, I like to use the percentage of 33%, um, then you are actually using it at its full benefit. When you start to overuse your ego, which we are trained from a small child to overuse our ego, because at that age, it's no big deal. Like I must win to get on the basketball team. I must do this to get by A. I must do this to get promoted. There's a point in life where if you're overusing these strengths to prove you're worth it, to prove your value, Once you become a parent, once you become a boss, once you become a manager, somebody who is counting on you, whether it's a spouse, anybody who's a partner of yours, who you need at the finish line with you, if you stay in that, I must win, I must be right, I must be liked model, that's the ego-driven model. If you stay there and you overuse these strengths, you're no longer um, taking care of the greater good. You have to shift to that we. You have to shift to we all win. If your family's not at the finish line with you, you lose. If your team's not at the finish line with you, you lose. And so really recognizing that your strengths aren't aren't bad. Your weaknesses aren't bad. Your ego is not bad. If you're not intentional, it's all bad. You know, so it's being able to be conscious and aware of when are you doing your best and maximizing your strengths? When are you overusing them? And they're really holding you back and your team. I think you had said 33% as a strength at the maximum, can you fill out the rest of the percentages? Yeah, you know, there's a there's a tool that I use called the leadership circle. And that's kind of the make-believe number that they use where if you use all three, um, three egos, the uh, complier, controller, and protector, if you use them all three at 
you're maximizing your consciousness and you're intentionally creating your actions, thoughts, and behaviors. Um, now they don't use the terms ego. They use reactive tendencies and it's a, they kind of have a different model around it, but what I've, you know, how we've adopted them into the leadership Academy and really kind of put these personas around these egos is that if you can use all three at 33%, you're going to maximize your impact. Uh, the complier's strengths are caring, compassionate, um, taking care of everyone, making sure, you know, that you can empathize and you can um, invite people and have that warm, caring connection. The protector is um, high integrity, speaks truth. It's the authenticity and um, our truth for everything, our values. And so really strong moral compass comes from our protector. And the controller is our ambition, our drive, our motivator to be successful, to, um, you know, engage everybody and get results. Now, when you start to overuse all of those, if you're overly caring, overly empathetic, you might be passive. You might go along to get along. You might say what other people want to hear to sacrifice your own happiness, but to make someone else happy. So you can see how it starts to hold you back. A lot of times, if you're a complier leader, you might struggle making decisions because you don't want to upset anyone. You might not be able to give feedback because you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Um, or really, when that, how that's a weakness is if you're not giving feedback, that's kind of a selfish tactic because you're not helping develop or grow your people, right? And so teaching them the model of the controller, which is sometimes too direct and they give too much feedback and they have too strong an opinion um, to where they need to pull the complier to balance that out with some care with a little sugar coating. And so it's a balance of all of them. Um, the protector ego tends to be a little more black and white, stubborn. It's the one that tends to be a little more controversial when uh, topics get heated because they care so deeply. And so knowing when are you getting too attached to something and you need to look at the gray. Uh, so it, it is just a balance and a dance that we all have all three. And so usually we have one to two dominant egos, but when we can learn how to really dance between all three, that's, that's our sweet spot. That's when we're, we're absolute best self. And you had complier, controller, and protector. And can you repeat again, mm -hmm. that was a leadership. What, what was the model? The assessment tool that I use um, is the leadership circle. Got it. Um, mm -hmm. Thanks for that. And then you had said yeah. we're on autopilot about 95% of the day versus being intentional. Yeah. With your work in doing the work, which we can talk more about what is the work, but in doing the work that you recommend, what percentage of the day should be intentional? You know... It's unrealistic to say 100% of your day should be intentional. It's just not possible. We're all human. We all make errors. So my whole thing is be 1% better today. If that means you want to be 1% more intentional today, because yesterday you were only 45%, then be 1% more. Um, it's just being more conscious. And that's really what the academy teaches people how to do. Having conversations keeps you intentional. You know, teaching them how to check in learning what the actual voices in our head are saying and doing. Most of us hear the noise, but we don't pay attention to it. It's just part of our being where when you can learn actually what those beliefs, mindsets, and conversations are being had in your head all day long, that's when you're not present. That's when you're not intentional because it's actually making your decisions for you where when you can actually stop, listen to that, get curious. Well, again, it goes back to uh, not just knowing what you do, but why do you do it? Most programs just teach you what you do, and this is how you can fix that. If you don't know why you do something, you can't possibly change it. You know, think about going to the gym. You, everybody can say, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to start going to the gym for two hours. You can say that's what you're going to do, or you can even say, well, the reason I didn't go because I was busy, but what's the real reason why? The real reason why is either you're not prioritizing it, or maybe it's not that important to you, or maybe you just believe it's not going to work or you don't have time, right? It's, it's the belief systems that hold us back from actually taking action on all these books we read, on all these programs we watch, on all these competencies we want to learn. If you don't know the ego's motivators, it will always set you up for, for failure. That's its goal. Yeah. Chrissy, I love, absolutely love the, the complier, controller, protector. And it's, as you were talking through it, I was actually thinking about my own career as a business uh -huh. person and how it started so aggressively as a controller because I had so, I let's go, so much drive. Right? Change the I, world. Yeah. And I can remember <laughs> sitting down with a former uh, a boss of mine and, you know, his, his comment was, 
John, you leave awake because you're just like so aggressive. You're like just trying to, you know, move mm-hmm. so fast and everybody needs a little more time. And I was like, oh, I'm like, he's like, you got to learn how to manage that wake because you're, you know, you're just getting a little too much there. Slow it down. Yeah. And I can also remember at a later part uh, af- after that, being in a position where I was managing um, uh, engineers in a field I really didn't know much about. So I didn't have uh-huh. a lot of ambition in it. I was providing leadership and I was being more supportive of them. And I had a 360 assessment and I realized I was being a complier. I was just basically yes. complying with whatever they needed and trying you to make to them the so opposite. happy. Yeah. Yep. And I went to the complete other end of the spectrum. Uh, and, and it's just interesting to hear about the balance that needs to be there. And, and I'm walking myself through it. I'm assuming the leadership circle tool is an assessment tool that by answering some questions, it gives you an analysis of maybe where you are in your current mindset. Is that fair? Yes. So the leadership circle, it's actually a really extensive um, tool. It is designed out of the executive MBA program at Notre Dame. Okay. And what they've done is they've taken over 650 different assessment tools. So your personality test, your IQ test, your emotional intelligence, you know, everything, any of the the, uh, tests that most people take as a standalone, they consolidate that into one product. And what makes it really different and unique is Again, it doesn't just tell you what you do. It doesn't just tell you how to fix it. It actually puts that why component in there. It gets into the psyche of it. And my favorite, the one reason I started using this tool before all of this was developed was to actually just bridge the gap of self-awareness. You know, as a coach, you only go off of what people tell you. And so in the early days, it was like, okay, this tool is a visual. Someone can't argue with me to say, well, this is what your impact is. It now becomes a visual that someone gets to say, this is how I think I'm showing up. And then you put evaluators in. So it's a 360 that you get to see how they think you're showing up. And so it's a self-awareness tool that really shows the gaps. And what you're talking about with that you know, one way early in your career, you were the controller and then you switched over to the complier. That's pro- those are probably your two dominant egos. And what happens is we, once we start to recognize as you get older, you get wiser. Right. Yep. And so oh. we learn by doing, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, we try to. Um, and what happens is once we recognize like, Oh, I'm a tidal wave. Shoot. I probably need to slow down. So then we kind of take a back seat. Now you've over, you know, you completely silenced the controller and you are overusing your complier where once we know this tool, it'll show you where are you overusing your controller? Where are you overusing your complier or your protector? And how do you pull them back? Like what do you, what are the the tips, the tools, the actions you need to make in order to pull it back to where you're getting all the strengths of those two things versus going one way or another? Um, It's very natural to go to the extremes when we're trying to fix a poor behavior, if we don't have language around what we're doing, you know, I call the controller, the freight train, um, let's get on or get off. Cause I'm going to run you over. We're going to the finish line. Um, and that that's great energy. It's exciting. But if you don't slow it down again, you miss your out your passengers, you, um, disengage your team members, which happens all the time. A lot of times controllers don't realize they're at the finish line by themselves until one day they wake up and literally things just start to go awry. Yeah, no doubt. You talked a little bit earlier, so I want to get to how do leaders recognize? So like, I, I love what we're saying here. I understand complier, controller, protector. I understand the little descriptions you gave us of all three of those. And if I stopped in real time and recognize, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm being a little too much this, yeah. what are those controllers? How do you self-regulate in these? once you realize, okay, I understand what these are. I got to use all three 33% of the time to have, be, to have the right balance. How do you train your leaders to recognize where they are in the moment and how do they pivot out of it? Because like in your situation, you basically stopped and said, wait a minute, let's rewind. I had an ego the last five minutes. Let's, you know, let's start all over again. Yeah. How do you, how do you coach your, your leaders in that way? What I love about this self-awareness, you can't deny self-awareness reality, right? It's uh, when you're not aware of something, you don't recognize it in real time. When you become aware of something, it's really hard to ignore in real time. And so that's the beauty of this work. Within two to three weeks, people are doing the laughing at the boardroom like I did because it's just so obvious of the change that needs to happen. Or sometimes people don't even know what they need to do in that moment. They just know that their ego is present. It's like, whoa, I'm doing that thing. And usually I'll get a phone call and be like, I did that thing. How do we need to work through this? You know, so awareness is the first step. If you can take awareness and then ownership, 
the adjustment is easy because the adjustment just says, what do I need to do? But naturally your best self is now starting to show up Um, through the program. We start to go through what's your best self look like? What's that 33% look like for you? Um, Because it is different for you and for me and for everybody else. And so being able to figure out what's your best self look like, and then what's your worst self look like? What's the sucky you look like? And how does that feel to people? How does it show up? Most of the time, that's the hardest activity in the entire academy because we deny it. The ego doesn't want to admit where we suck um, because it hurts too bad, right? The truth hurts. Unfortunately, if we don't own that side of us, it's really hard to be authentically confident because the ego is going to always tell you you're not good enough. You need to you know, push harder. You need to work longer. You need to do this. Um, no one's going to believe you. you got your imposter syndrome going on. All the things that keep us driving. Where Sometimes we're in a good spot. We just get to say today's good enough. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow I can still be 1% better, but today's good enough. And so that's the model of mindful choice. Just be 1% better today. 1% better every single day gets you to be a better you, but you get to celebrate the wins and where you're at today because it's good enough today. Yeah. How much of this is sharing? I'll, g- I'll give you a good example. Um, I have a friend, which I'll leave unnamed, uh, who, <laughs> you know, him and his wife have recognized that he can sometimes get angry. Uh, yeah. And sure enough, he comes out of his own shell and now he's a different persona because now he's a little angry. And they yeah. nicknamed it, for example, Angry Alex. So that's not actually yeah. his name. His name is not Alex. But, you know, whenever he gets angry, she goes, Oh, here we go. Here's angry Alex. And then they chuckle about it. And he realized, okay, I'm being angry Alex now. Okay. I get it. So how much of that, when you coach your teams or leaders, is it sharing with each other? For example, the three of us sharing, where do our Mm -hmm. egos show up in these three areas? And maybe if it's showing up too much, there's a little bit of a communication mechanism amongst the group to say, Hey, you know, if you're not being self-aware right now, here's a little tip. Yes. I love that example. You know, whether you call them, you know, crazy or angry yeah. Alex, or I call them sometimes the Mr. Crazies, or yeah. you get to call them, you know, oh, here's, you know, crazy person, or just the egos coming out. Here we go. Um, sure. Whatever it is. I think what's awesome is once people start to own their crazy side, now it's normal. Now we get to see it and we get to say, whoa, it's coming. I'm sorry. Let's, let's rewind. Yeah. You know, that, that ain't, we all have the ability to be mean, whether it's passive aggressive or it's, whether it's loud and arrogant, we all have the ability to be angry. And so being able to recognize, what does that look like for you? The, the quiet passive is just as terrible as the loud jerk, right? It's, they look different. They feel different. The loud jerk, it's a way harder, um, rap than the, the quiet passive, but the quiet passive shooting daggers. I mean, they, you're dead to me energy and that's, that's just as dangerous. So, you know, I, I think it's just recognizing what does your worst self, you know, the good, bad, and ugly. Once yeah. you know that you do name it. And as far as teams go organizations, that's my favorite. When people put their entire team through it, it becomes a consistent language. It becomes, everybody has permission to show up and invite everybody else to show up. Mm-hmm. What I love about this work is whether everybody's doing it or you're doing it yourself, it's, you're taught you can't change others. You can only change your own approach, which can change how others show up. And yeah. so being able to bring your best self to the game allows you to have a real conversation of, around, you know, someone's dark side and saying, hey, you know, when you do this, it really turns, uh, makes the energy go blah, 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 right? Like it turns everybody off or it's, it's really mean and hurtful. And I know that's not intentional, but yeah. you're able to change your language to start managing other people's ego without them even knowing it, but you're helping improve and bring everybody to that finish line at a better place. And that's what I think is so cool about ego management. Yeah. It's so funny, Rich, you and I used to have a a paradigm shifting moment. We would call it uh, where we'd scratch the record. If it was going off track, do you remember that? Yep. Hollering out the window. If we were uh, (laughs) had a bad day, we'd holler out the window. I love life. And that was our way to shift into a, a different version of ourselves. That we were yep. letting go. I, I'm Absolutely. Curious, I'm curious, Christy, for you to speak to where do these unconscious beliefs come from? Mm-hmm. You know, that's such a good question. It comes back from childhood. Um, you know, our, our psyches start at around age two or three. When you start looking at kiddos, you're going to start seeing their personality develop. And you can start to see how they show up and how they don't. And it's little things that happen are... 
the traumas in life, the good things in life, you know, comply. If you look at siblings, our siblings play a huge role. Our parents, um, their, their parenting style, any big moves or traumas, any deaths or loss, like all of that plays a role in how these egos show up because when we're kids, they're actually are designed to protect us. They're designed to help us be successful. Um, it's just when we turn into the we that they start to hold us back. About in high school is when we start to see the weaknesses of them. And it's like, ooh, that's not quite the team player we need on the basketball team. You know, and you start to get punished for some of these ego tactics that you might have once been praised for. And so, you know, it's... Um, it's, it's our childhood. And that's what I love about it is because a lot of times those childhood stories, the good ones and the bad ones, they haunt us as we start becoming leaders in our life. And if we don't recognize it, then it can start to hold us back as simple as, you know, I was talking to a client uh, a couple of weeks ago and they were talking about how they show up with their team. And they're like, you know, I just, I like to take charge. And they, they were actually, uh, being trained to be a leader. So they weren't in a, an actual management role, but they're the ones that always raise their hand first. They're always the go-getter, right? So the, everybody wants that to be the top of their uh, leadership uh, ladder. But what happens is, you know, you talk to her, she was the uh, first child. She uh, was praised her whole entire life of how to win, how to be the best, to make sure she gets recognition. She wanted to get validation. So she is actually a complier controller. She seeks permission, validation, and approval, uh, which is what drives her perfectionist controller. And so her being able to recognize that the only reason she's striving so hard to be the best was to make sure people liked her. Like that was her motivator and justification. And so being able to recognize like, wow, as a leader, you know, just pushing so hard, working ridiculous hours um, to prove that she's supposed to be there instead of just saying, hey, I'm doing a good enough job. Let's actually make decisions that are helping everybody move forward instead of telling this group one thing and this group another thing so that everybody was happy. You know, she stopped uh, being the peacemaker and really working on just, you know, show up as you get to be, you know, the person has wisdom, you know, you don't have to be perfect. So she started to own some of her, her journey. A lot of times entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders, they think they have to have no, all the answers. They need to show up as the best on the team. And the problem is that's all ego-driven. And when you do that, you usually start to be unrelatable. People think you're too perfect, so you never had a struggle. So they don't think it's, you know, they can't achieve that. Where when you start to share your struggles, you start to share your weaknesses, you start to share some of the, the hard times you've had. Now people are like, oh, you're normal. Oh, I can relate to. Oh, I want to be better than. How do I get better versus just think that you're perfect and that's un unreachable? Hmm. Yeah, thanks. I'd, I'd love to ground this if you guys are willing to with me. When yeah, you talk about it. childhood stories or childhood psyche or trauma, mm -hmm. I know there are a number of entrepreneur listeners that are probably listening going, ah, that childhood stuff again. Like, and they're yep. either. Either I had something going on, I don't know how that connected, or they may be thinking, I really didn't have anything going on. What I'd love to do is ground it maybe in each of our stories for just a minute or two to give something relatable to our listeners to say, hey, here's something that happened in my childhood. Here's how that shows up and how they're connected. Yeah. After we each do that, Maybe then for you to weigh in a little deeper on, okay, now that that's understood, what next? So if okay. you guys are up for it, I'm happy to lead off. Childhood story. <laughs> uh, I was the last guy to be picked on every schoolyard draft pick. It didn't matter mm -hmm. if it was playing football, if it was kickball, if it was I'll race you to the bike rack, didn't matter what it was. Uh -huh. So I learned the value of being included. Where that yeah. shows up for me today is I want to be invited, even if I'm not available. And mm -hmm. it hurts my feelings, even if I look at my schedule and I see, oh, Friday night, I'm not available. But if somebody's doing something and I'm not invited, even though I'm not available, I'm like, oh, they must not like me. And then I start yeah. to assign all of these intentions that, well, they're, they must have been intentional. It was oversight on purpose. I must not be important enough for them to have invited me. They didn't know my schedule to begin with that I was. Yeah. And all these stories start to roll out, right? And I know mm -hmm. that that connects back with a playground in grade school where I was mm -hmm. really excluded there. 
Uh, John, would you be open to sharing one? And then Christy would love for you to share one. And then let's transition this to what now, now that we know some of that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say I'd say for me, uh, I grew up uh, where my father was a professor in the military, and so the relationship I had with him brought a lot of my controller type of um, drive later on in my career, where it was like everything had to be a meeting. We need to have structure. There needs to be an yeah. agenda. There needs to be a, you know. What time does it start? That's the time it needs to be. And it kind of brought a lot of that in my later career. But I think what it also brought, as I mentioned earlier, was way earlier in my career. I was so driven to structure and plan and meetings and, you know, uh, that it, it I didn't have a lot of that complier uh, yeah. soft edge to me, if you will, uh, in there. Yeah. And or, you know, from the protector side, although the protector did exist there very strongly, it was a little less about protection is a little more about here's what we need to do. And it was very mm-hmm. structured. And even to this day, my wife will call me Jekyll and Hyde because I get in my business <laughs> mode. It's kind of like, I'm all business. Like I can't get out of it. I'm not I'm too serious, you know, and then I'll go party with the friends on the weekend and be like, who are you? Like, I didn't see that all yeah. week. Well, that's uh, when you got the nickname Johnny Vegas. Because that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> that's for a different it. episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Those are two such great examples. I love it. Christy, are you open to sharing uh, something that connects for you? Yeah, I mean, that's how my business got started was me learning about my own stuff. You know, I like to call it our mommy and daddy issues. We all have them. Our parents have them. Our grandparents have them. And it's generational and we all pass them down. And the reality is, is if we don't, if we don't change the story, then the story is repeated. It might look different. It might sound different, but it's the same story, um, generations after generation. And so... For me, my, uh, I was <laughs> the kid that always had to be the best. So I'm very much a controller protector. So I had to be the best and I had to be right. And so I was always, you know, wanting to be class president and do all these things. And I think there were a couple times I lost and it really drove me crazy. And so it definitely kept me pushing harder and harder and harder. Once I turned into an adult, that's when things really changed. I really stepped into my controller and it was like, I don't need no man. I'm independent. I can take care of myself. And it, it lasted through my 20. I mean, until that fall, that fall is when I realized, whoa, I am completely unemotionally attached to most people. I have very few deep relationships. I'm always good. I couldn't talk about my feelings. I couldn't share what was going on in my life because I had to keep up the image that I'm fine. I'm great. Everything's awesome. And the reality is, I really thought that, to be honest, I didn't really think anything was wrong until you're forced to slow down. And then that's when I started to look in internal and realize that that tough little girl who thought she didn't need nobody is now going to end up alone. And that was always my biggest fear was, you know, being alone, which is why I had millions of friends and all these acquaintances. But, you know, they were empty somewhat to a sense that they, they weren't long-term relationships. They weren't things, no one knew I had my fall. I didn't call anybody to tell them, Hey, this is really tragic and I need your help. Uh, And that, that actually started to change. That's one thing. That was the first thing I did after my fall. I redesigned all my friendships. They were very one way. I was the friend everybody could count on when people had a problem. They called me when they needed help. They called me. I was the first to show up. I was the last to leave. Like I was that girl, but that's what that image was that I needed to put on. I was doing it authentically, but it was also ego, ego driven to justify my value and worth. And so I called about 10 girlfriends that I considered to be my inner circle and my family. And I told them what I needed. All right, here's the deal for our relationship to be balanced and for it to work. I need you to ask me in our first five minutes how I'm doing. And I promise that I will tell you exactly what's going on in my life. And I will say I lost majority of my friends. They're still acquaintances, but most of them didn't turn into a friend that had deep connections that I would consider to call if something tragic happened. And then there's the, the girlfriends now, you know, got two of them, but one of them, the first time I called her, I, I, when it was a bad day, I literally just started crying. I'm hysterical. And she's like, 
I don't know what to do. You, you're not the crier in this relationship. Can you just tell me what you need from me right now? And she just kind of had this moment of freak out. And I'm like, I don't need you to do anything. I just need you to listen. I'm trying to be better at sharing my feelings. <laughs> and it was so dramatic. And as a controller who doesn't share anything, I was really struggling. But, you know, it it did. Those, that realness, that authenticity, that rawness is what has actually allowed me to build this business. It, it allows me to share these stories with the world so that people can learn that it's okay. Your real is what people want to hear. Your real is what attracts your, your tribe, your team, your, you know, as a business owner, if you're not being real, you're leaving a phony company and no one has loyalty to you because nothing's substantial enough to hold on to, you know, as a controller, our energy, going back to the tidal wave analogy, our energy follows us. And so we might be really motivating, really excited. Everybody's on the board and rah, rah when we're in the room. But oftentimes when we leave the room, there's no accountability. The energy doesn't stay. People don't know what they're supposed to be doing. They don't know where they're supposed to be going. And so it's like, oh, well, let's just go back to what we're doing. And a lot of times that's the controller's biggest issues is like, no one's following through. Or what happens too is a lot of people call back and be like, I didn't really like that plan. Now it's over. But in the room, it was like, yeah, 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 let's do it. Because that's that controller energy. And so you've got to slow down so people can catch up so you can hear where people are and keep your pulse on the tribe so they move with you. So what's the what now? You had referenced doing the work yourself. So we each shared a piece of our stories that connects. Yes. Great. So we connected that. What is doing the work? Yep. So can I go back to your guys' story really quick? Yeah. Okay. So um, the she playground. Looked, John, she looked a little too excited to. I am so excited. <laughs> it had done everything in my, my power now, not to jump in, in and just like go yeah. into it. The twinkle um, no, in her eyes. No, because it was a really great exercise for people <laughs> to hear. And very rarely do I get to do this in a live format. But it's so fun. So, um, Rich, I think for you, you know, when we think about the little kid, and I'm going to use this in general statement because at the end of the day, there's a lot of grownups who were little kids who got picked last on these teams, you know, and um, sometimes that's, that might be the cause, but there might even be something deeper than that. You know, who was the first person to reject you? A lot of times it's a parent that might've left when you were a child or um, again, a loss, something that got more emotional. And so then on the well, I can tell you that one is uh, uh-huh. my mother who had uh, clavicle cancer when I was two or three years old, and she had about four or five visits to the hospital. And at the time, cancer was a death sentence. Yeah. I have no memory of it. My father tells me that I, that I started stuttering, so I must have been under yeah. some stress. And I imagine what I must have intuited uh, that wasn't said to me. And I imagine what was said to me by my mom the four or five times she left to go to the hospital. So there was something further back than just the schoolyard where uh, there was some longing to be loved or maybe there's an abandonment thing there or uh, something like that. So I, I can tell you there is that other piece of the story as well that I've connected. Yeah. And usually there is, because usually that's a symptom of how you're showing up on the playground, right? Um, If you tend to be more of a complier, which sounds like what that energy is, um, that desire to, to need to be invited to feel value. And so, you know, that, that's usually comes back from that deeper want or need, but it probably designed how you actually showed up on the actual playground itself. But now as an adult, that energy, um, that complier ego, what it does is it will hold you back and it does take things more personal. And so it's people driven. And so you want to feel included and you want to belong and you want to feel loved, even if you can't go. And so it becomes a passive approach to how you probably handle it where you go into the, I would almost challenge you might even be protector where you've got complier protector going on. So the protector's like, oh, well, you weren't invited. That means they don't like you. That means, you know, you just, you have no worth in this group and they don't appreciate you. And, and it goes down the dark tunnel. And so then it becomes self-deprivation um, where there's value in knowing that. It's none of that is really truth. But if we start to believe those stories, which we usually do for most of our life until we realize what they are, right? Now you can start to change the story. Oh, well, I couldn't go anyways. 
Or maybe they had, you know, a different reason why they didn't invite me. And we go to a place of logic versus emotion. Mm -hmm. Um, Compliers are emotion first, logic second, where controllers are logic first, emotion second. And so kind of balancing that out. So it sounds like doing the work, some of that is um, being aware and mm-hmm. then changing some of the story. Yes. So the first step is self-awareness. Second step is ownership. And then third step is the beliefs and mindsets, the why. Why do you feel that way? What are the stories that you're telling yourself? What are the beliefs that are underlying this behavior or this action? What are you seeking from external resources to make yourself feel valuable? Um, and once you start to learn those whys, and the leadership circle actually gives you one, you know, that's a, a big part of the first month of the program is getting your feedback. And the leadership circle helps break down some of these beliefs to help it make it more obvious of what those stories are. Uh, but it's a very clear path once you can um, start to to list out those beliefs. Cause now you can go, Oh, the big motivator of a complier is to be liked. And so just by knowing that you get to say, Oh, are my feelings hurt because I think they don't like me or are my feelings hurt because I didn't get invited. And then if it's because I didn't get invited, is it because they didn't like me? Right. And it goes back into a circle and usually you can start to see the pattern of the ego. It's usually the same story over and over and over again, different. It looks slightly different, but it's usually the same same bigger why. So Christy, I think, you know, it it relates to my story, you know, in segue to this, the awareness, the ownership, the belief in mindsets. I think it started showing up for me when I started getting the feedback from people I was working with in the business world or even in the personal world. I mentioned a story about my wife earlier about calling me Jekyll and Hyde. And I'm like, oh, really? Like I'm a, yes. And and so what would happen is I would start getting the, the feedback, which had me then become more aware to then say, okay, I got to own up. I can't, I can't be like that all the time. I got to, you know, yeah. I got to get these other sides. And, but it was less about retelling stories for me. It was more about the awareness ownership and okay, how am I going to represent myself def- differently in another situation? And then intentionally uh-huh. about it. You know, yes. I, re- I remember times, you know, post these times where, you know, I have an employee or a team member come to me with something they wanted to do that I thought was the worst idea ever. Uh, but I didn't want to tell them what they should do. I more coached them along. Okay, well, let's see how this works. And I, and I brought a little complier in because I needed some complier yeah. or being more authentic or vulnerable. I mean, I think, Rich, you know, I, I had issues with vulnerability. I had, yeah. you know, much like you, because I had to be, you know, strong and this is the way it is and wasn't my yeah. true self sometimes because I was trying to protect myself. I was trying to be, mm-hmm. you know, uh, non-authentic really in, in some ways and not, not very vulnerable. And so that's been a yes. learning process for me, but it's been more feedback driven. And that's usually what it is, right? Um, if you haven't, if you don't do formal training, mm-hmm. you're going to learn it. You might learn it the hard way, but you're going to learn it, right? And I mean, that's just, that's life. We learn our behaviors over time. Some people learn it faster than others um, under just circumstances. But I think, you know, the inten- the word intention that you use, once you learn it, if you are conscious enough to be intentional to choose another action, thought, or behavior, Yep. Now you're managing your ego. You may not have the knowledge that that's what you're doing, but now you're doing that, right? I would say if you if you don't control your mind, someone or something else will. And yep. so being able to recognize that you're doing this thing and that didn't work. So I'm going to try doing this thing. Mm-hmm. And now you intentionally choose to do it this way. Like that's kind of that full circle of, okay, we know what we're doing. We know why we do it. Now, how am I, am I going to actually choose to change it? And that's that full pattern of ego management, which is really fun. And, you know, you keep using the word Jekyll and Hyde. So that's where I wanted to go to your story, because that's a big thing. uh, People who have controller complier, it is very Jekyll and Hyde because they're the extreme opposite of the spectrum, right? You've got task oriented and then you have people oriented where like for me, I'm controller protector. So I've got kind of a balanced middle. Now I'm completely struggled to get the people side. I have to intentionally bring that into my world. So I'm more task altogether where you've got the task and the, the people conscience. And so you, you, it is probably this internal battle. You probably have gotten a more, you know, tighter grip on it now, but back in the day, it probably was like, go, 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 go. And then you would feel bad 
yeah. because of how you acted or someone said, oh, well, that was kind of mean. And you're like, oh, I'm really sorry. And then your complier would kick in. And so, you know, being able to recognize that Jekyll and Hyde, that's normal. Or like you said, personal life, you know, professionally, you were more controller. Well, you're exhausted. You, you've over-controlled everything all day. Now you're tired on the weekends. Like we're just going to comply and we're going to have a good time and let's put people first, you know? And so it does become that extreme where when you can balance it, now you get to be the charming fun guy and the professional guy all at the same time. It's still tough. Maybe it's, it's a great, it's a great analysis because (laughs) I, I kind of self-taught or learned or watched other mentors, you know, what I needed to be, to do to be my best self in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And then I learned from other people what I need to do to be my best self when we're partying in Las Vegas. And I, you yeah. know, I, I kind of, you know, I, I got these personas that, you know, in Vegas, I, I was this person, but then on Monday morning, I was the person that was so stiff. You couldn't even crack a joke with me. Right. And, <laughs> and totally. so I wasn't my true, I guess I was my true self in both those environments, but I couldn't be myself hundred percent authentically all the time. Yes. And, and that's what caused, you know, a little bit of that issue. So I love that. I was kind of on one spectrum or the other. I was either a complier or I was controller, but I lack that protector that kind of, you know, bridges them Balanced together. Out. So yeah. Christy, and part of that too, is that, um, that need to have our mask on, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you compartmentalize your mask. This group yeah. gets to see this mask. This group gets to see this right. mask and we all do that. But yeah, are you aware of the masks that you're putting out in the world? Christy, can you help me with this? Because in, in, and I'm certainly not an expert in leadership circle. This is the first time I've ever heard of it, but, uh, mm-hmm. It sounds like John has controller complier. And I assume the one that goes first is the one that's more dominant. And yes. one of the th- reasons why I think John and I connect so well, and we have for the last 25 years, is I think I'm probably complier controller. Uh-huh. That I do some of the same things that John does, but I do them in an effort to uh, to want to be like, to be able to be compassionate, to be caring. Uh, but at the, at the end of that, I also know both of us to be very high integrity. So how does the protector play into any of this? Because I've, I've honestly not known John or me to compromise our values. Gosh, I can't think of anything off the top of my head on this particular podcast. I'd probably volunteer it in terms of vulnerability. Yeah, but I can't think of anything that we've done that's that's incredibly low integrity or anti-truth or so. How does that play in? So that's a really great question, because at the end of the day, we all fall into all three categories. We all have complier, protector and controller in us. The older we get, the more we do this work. I'm assuming the two of you have done some work in your lifetime, um, you know, personally on the development side. And so naturally you start to get more of each of them where integrity can be forfeited. Again, I'm a controller protector. So as a protector, I can overuse my protector, which means I can forfeit my integrity sometimes. Um, This is going to be a very simple tactic or example because it just happened the other day. But these are the little things that our ego does that makes us jeopardize, let's say, integrity. Um, I was walking down the street and I have a really big thing about litter. And so I'm walking down. There's a piece of trash. I was busy. I was headed to a meeting. And so I make about three or four extra steps. And in my brain, it's like, pick up the trash. Just pick up the trash. So my best self is saying, turn around and pick up the trash. Where my ego was in a hurry. I didn't want to turn around and pick up the trash. Well, I got to the corner and then my guilt of my best self kicked in and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go pick up the trash and my ego pouted about it. But that's the, that was that integrity battle, right? My best self's integrity was saying, just pick up the trash, throw it in the trash on the corner, um, where my ego was too busy to stop and do something that was going to slow me down. So that's an, that's a simple example of how we can jeopardize our own integrity for the ego's tactic, being busy, being unconscious, going through the motions of life. Um, Another example of integrity could be where you, I mean, if you're in the car with your kid and you're texting and you're telling them they're 16 and you're saying, don't text and drive, but you're doing it right. So it's the say as I, or do as I say, not as I do model. We all do that. It might look different. It might look more extreme for certain people, but again, it's like, are you holding your integrity? Are you speaking your truth? It could be for a complier, you know, you just go along to get along. So you say, yeah, 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 that's fine. But really deep down, you're wanting to say, no, I don't want to do that. 
And so that again is jeopardizing your integrity. It's not bad. It's not wrong. It's just again, awareness and the impact you're making. Your best self has a different radar than the ego does. And so being able to become aware of that, you just naturally start to show up more in your own um, authenticity. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. What's interesting to me, and I'm curious because you didn't start this business a year and a half ago in the middle of COVID when you lost your job as a medical salesperson and said, I'm going to just start doing something new. You started this <laughs> right. 11 years ago, right? And your awareness moment was your fall. Mm-hmm. You fall, uh, you, you have this moment of reflection. You now start being more aware of where you are. What does success really mean to me? Maybe it's not this, maybe it's something different, but you had an awareness moment. Step one of what do you do? It seems to me that through a lot of people that I know or acquaintances or or what the like, the last two years with COVID has given a lot of people that quote unquote fall moment where they are starting to reevaluate. Am I where I really want to be? And you mentioned this, the individuals in the, in, I think it was the hospital by themselves wondering where their family was. And like, look, I put in too many hours. I worked too hard. Yeah. I made a lot of money, but now I'm lonely. And I, I feel like there's a rage, um, a raging population right now that really are seeking that awareness factor to figure out mm-hmm. where do they really want to be. And I'm yeah. assuming you're seeing a lot of that with you, with your business today. Can you tell us a little bit more about, are you seeing that? And, and what do people yeah. do about it? If they want to learn more, if they want to become more aware, what, mm-hmm. what does mind, you know, the mindful choice leadership Academy do for them? Like how do what's the next step? You know, I think that is such a great segue into where the world is at right now. You know, when you think about what has happened in the last year and a half, when you think about our political scene, when you think about social media, when you think about everything that's going on, it's all ego driven. It's all panic driven. So the ego is driven by emotions, stress, overwhelm, anxiety, fear, um, all these things that if we do anything when we're awake, we're going to run into one of those things. And now it's all heightened. You know, when you go on social media, it's like doom or gloom. There's nothing positive that you come across. Our news articles, there's no positive. Like you have to look for good news. Otherwise, it's all just, you know, the world's ending stuff. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate because it really triggers the ego in every single thing we do. Uh, fire drills. The fire drills in our organizations right now are so out of control on the numbers that we just, you can't even function because we're always connected. The emails, the text messages, the phone calls, you can't escape any of it. So you don't have time to slow down and just catch up, take a breath, slow down like we used to, which is driving the ego. And so, you know, I think people are stopping and saying, this doesn't feel good anymore. I would actually say people slowed down and now we're speeding up. I almost feel like we're almost taking a, a faster jump into getting the world back to normal. So there's still this pace that people are, are wanting to stay in that slower lane, yep. but they're getting forced to get into the fast lane again. And they don't know how to stay back here, how to balance life, how to say no, how to create boundaries. And that's really what the Leadership Academy is designed to do. Um, while I was uh, going through the pandemic, I was actually building this digital course to expand it out, to be able to get to more people because the world needs it. We need more humans back in business. We need more humans back in our families. We need more humans back in our communities and our society. Right now, everybody's so divided. There's so much uh, dysfunction and chaos that we can't even think about how being our best selves because the world is pushing us to be our worst self, pushing us to be driven by this ego. And so the Leadership Academy is now available to everybody. It's a 20-week course that gets people the tools. And I love it. I have a new gal that just started this last week and I checked in with her today or yesterday. And she's like, oh my gosh, I had no idea how unconscious I was. I've already applied two things. And we're talking like, She's seen three videos out of the 58 videos in the course. And this stuff is simple. It's not hard concepts. What it does, though, is it brings that consciousness back into your life. It gives you that moment, 10 minutes a day, an hour a week. It gives you that moment to say, how can I be 1% better today? How is this thing holding me back? What is my impact here? Am I delegating? Am I, you know, having productive conversations? Am I facing the hard stuff? Am I prioritizing the real priorities? Time, 
That's the biggest thing people are, you know, wasting right now. But the ego sucks time out of our life, makes us so busy, puts all these tasks on there and the people never get on it. So we don't self-care. We don't, you know, take care of the people in our life. We don't have time to hire new great people. We don't have time to to train our current people. We don't have time to do. And it's like, that's just self-sabotage. So this work just teaches people how to prioritize the real priorities and make sure they're showing up in both avenues of their world. You know, when you're at work, that is your number one client. When you're at home, they are your number one client. When you're by yourself, you're your number one client. And you just learn to compartmentalize in a healthy way instead of that self-sabotaging way. John, I think you bring up a good point. And there are a lot of people that COVID uh, made that um, falling 30 feet moment for that Christy had. And I'd like to hear in conclusion, Christy, of this particular podcast, for all of our entrepreneurs that had that 30-foot fall moment as a result of COVID, what would be the one thing, the most commonly used tool that you could recommend as a gift to our listeners? I think it's gain the self-awareness of the unconscious behaviors that are sabotaging your good intentions. That's what everything else is wrapped up in. If you're not aware of your unconscious behaviors, you've maxed out your potential of where you're at right now. So with some self-awareness, you know, hire a coach, get into the leadership Academy, read a book, get into a program. It doesn't matter what it is. Just do something different because your ego is going to tell you you're doing a great, you're doing fine. Everything's good because that's what it tells us because it doesn't want you to get better. So choose one thing every single day to be 1% better. So you can show up, you know, as a stronger leader for your team, your family, your friends, your community. Thanks for that, Christy. And thank you for the last hour of conversation together. And, uh, you know, John and I got personal value out of it and I'm sure our listeners did too. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Christy. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. John, if we don't change the story, it gets repeated. That was one of the things I wrote down and I actually highlighted in my notes as we were talking and the importance of understanding our story, being Mm -hmm. self-aware. And that was Christie's whole thing was starting with self-awareness and then ultimately changing our story so it's not repeated. Yeah. Self-awareness, ownership, and then what are those beliefs and mindsets, the story. Uh, And I do find it interesting. You had said, you know, you'd talked about even our relationship and how you're kind of a complier, controller. I may be a controller, complier, uh, but there's a good yin and yang that we've always had in our relationship that uh, I I never really put it into those buckets before. So this is the first time I ever look at controller, protector, complier and buckets and say, hey, you need to be well-balanced. But certainly, again, as I reflect on my career pathway from my 20s to my 30s to my 40s, I definitely see how I've evolved from, you know, controller, way overboard controller to maybe a way overboard complier to trying to bring some authenticity and protector to my life um, and and how the balance of those are very important. The one thing we didn't talk about, Rich, that uh, I think, you know, uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on is the receiver. So we talked a lot about. Uh, the individual and how they need to be self-aware of themselves. But there's also the self-awareness of who is receiving you. And the mic, you know, we talked with Michael Alasso at one point about micro messages. What are the micro messages you're giving out to people? And what, is, what does that mean about you uh, in that particular moment? Uh, there's a lot to say here about you may have to be in a different spot between controller, protector, and complier based on the receiver and where they are at that particular moment. They may need you to be a protector. They may need you to be a controller, a complier. We didn't really talk about that receiver. What are your thoughts on that? Hmm. It reminds me of a quote I got from a presentation skills course that I took that the person who was teaching it said, the only message that matters is the message that's received. Mm -hmm. It does not matter what your intent was. It doesn't matter what words you used. It doesn't matter what came out of your lips. What matters is what lands on their ears. And at first, it's a bit of a startling statement that the only message that matters is the message it's received. But isn't that why we all communicate? 
the purpose of communication is to seek to understand and be understood. So when we're communicating outward, I do think to be able to understand what what I would call it is some of the backflow of information from the other person on what some of their needs are. And some of that may be, again, to Michael Alasso, some of that might be um, subliminal. Some of it might be micro messaging. And then some of it might be just asking, yep. hey, how is this landing on you? Hey, yeah. I, I could serve you in this way or that way. Uh, what would you prefer? Yep. Or, hey, I, I know you're sharing that with me. Is there something I could do for you within that? It's checking in with the other person. Last thing I'll say, and then would love to hear your thoughts on it, is there's the golden rule, which is do unto others as you would do to yourself, right? Yep. And then I don't know what it's called, whether it's the platinum rule I, I don't know what it is exactly, but it would be do unto others as they would like done to them. Hmm. So it's not so self-focused. It's not doing to others what you would want done to you. What do you have to do with it? It's doing to others as they want done with them, yeah. which requires the receiver component to it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, there's, I, I gave my examples of, you know, I was showing up this way in the workplace and this way in my personal life. But if you think about just the work side of it, as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, as a leader of your business, if you're always showing up as a controller to your team, they're going to always pin you as the controller. And to be aware of how you're representing yourself and to sprinkle that around with a little bit of protector or complier, I think would do really good to the psyche of the people that you work with to realize that you have different dimensions of you and you're not just this controller, ambition, drive person, but you really can come across in these other segments of protector and complier. And so, you know, as, as I think about that out loud here, you know, and you mentioned a really, really good point, you know, when you are talking to a team member, and they're maybe bringing a problem to you or they're bringing a situation to you. It's one thing to go and try and solve the problem, but it's a, it's a, it's a different degree to say, Rich, thanks for sharing that with me. In sharing that with me, what are you expecting from me in return? Do you need me to be directive and tell you exactly what you should go do to solve this problem? Are you looking for me to listen to your solutions and provide some guidance? Are you looking for me to, you know, what are you looking for? Not assume that you know what they're looking for. Uh, that, that's a great point that you made that uh, I think can really help. If you don't know where the receiver is coming from, you're not really sure how they want to be treated in that situation or, or how they want the, the conversation to progress. Asking them is so simple, yet seldomly done. Yeah. And in that particular example, one of the things that I found is I tend to take ownership of an issue that someone else has that, yeah. oh, well, you must be sharing it with me because uh, you'd like me to help. Yep. Um, one of the things that I've learned is a lot of people are just sharing because it that's where they are and I'm a trusted person. And they care to share. Yeah. So instead of even asking the question, I don't think what you said, I, I love what you said. I think we should check in and say, how would you like me to show up for you in this? But I think often before that is just to say, man, that that's really tough. Just to relate mm -hmm. with empathy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, thanks for sharing that. That doesn't certainly doesn't sound easy. Yeah. Well, come to think of it, you know, Christy gave us an example where she called her girlfriend and she was crying and her friend didn't know how to digest it. And the friend actually asked her, right. What do you want me to do with this? Cause I don't know what to do. Um, right. you know, a different way of, of seeking feedback from the receiver in terms of what they're looking for from you in this particular situation. I love this self-aware ownership and then checking on beliefs. Yeah. The, the component that I've used that works for me is also being very intentional about a pause before responding. Yeah. Because I have found I can be aware of my thing that could be being left out or being triggered because I feel like um, I'm not being included. If I don't insert a pause before I react, I am just that avatar of my ego. Mm -hmm. And if I insert the pause, I can pause long enough to ask myself, what's the response that belongs here? Like, yeah. is, is it uh, like, wow, I'm feeling triggered. Is it my feeling left out? Is it that? What should I do next? How should I reply? That pause for me is so critical 
before doing or saying something that at some point I might apologize for. Yeah. And I can't remember the conversation we had uh, in prior episode about just having that white space. A lot of times we feel we need to give an answer right now, or we need to react to the situation right now. And even that pause, even though you may be talking about a couple seconds, it may need to be a couple of days in certain situations, but yet we feel a, a need to respond, get it off my plate and move on to the next thing where sometimes patience and I, I, a lot of times patience can really help frame things the proper way. Sometimes people are too, uh, they have too much passion in the current time frame and the current mindset where they need that space, that pause, the receiver and the giver to digest what's the right approach here. And I think that pause can be articulated in seconds or days, in my opinion. And all of it starting with that self-awareness and having higher consciousness of yourself and the ability to observe what is actually at work that's driving some of the responses we have. Yeah, exactly. I'll say one last thing, Rich. You know, she mentioned a, a really good point about the stress that people are having today, right? You had the COVID stress. You had the not seeing family stress. You have the, am I, am I where I want to be self-reflection during COVID stress that people had? A lot of negative news, a lot of things going on that I think are bringing in people this question of self-reflection. Am I where I want to be? And what I love about what Christy is doing with the, you know, the, the leadership circle tool or whatever, it's really helping people reflect. Am I, am I where I need to be? And the fact that she shared her story with us, that she had this revelation moment. I think a lot of people are going through that right now and using these tools and, you know, the controller, protector, complier component. But she, you know, what we didn't talk to her a little bit about was she had gaps in her life, right? She had this professional success going on here, but she had these other gaps and by having this self-awareness and retelling her story, she was able to identify new goals and objectives of where she wanted to go and accomplish different objectives versus the ones she was accomplishing. So that pivot moment, you know, what do you do about it? And not only retelling yourselves the stories of the past, but what are the stories you want for your future would probably be that, that plus one at the end of those three steps of now what do you do about it?